Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my is... Name. <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. You may not know who Aurelia Skipworth is. She was the first African-American female director of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service under Trump. She's an incredible individual from Mississippi originally, uh, loves to hunt, loves wildlife, loves conservation, and she almost dropped off the radar after the Trump administration changed to the Biden administration. Well, she has recently surfaced, and she's recently surfaced as the executive director of a new international wildlife conservation organization called the International Order of T. Roosevelt. I wanted to have Aurelia on because of her new role, I wanted to understand what this new order was, where did they come from, and what kind of projects are they really going to invest in. I think you're going to enjoy the conversation. It's going to give you a little bit more insight to this new conservation organization that's going to uh, probably put a really big fingerprint or stamp, and I can't wait to see what they can do. Okay, so before I started this podcast, you forced me to watch a video of yours. I it's bloody good. Oh. 
Thank you very much. It's bloody good, especially coming from someone that lives and breathes this stuff, right? That's what I do. That's what I build. And when I watched that video, I was like, did you use Sam Rivera? And I just actually texted Sam. I said, did you build this video? He's like, nope, that's not my work. But it looks bloody good too. (laughs) Um, I will say this. What I love about it. Oh, let me let me back up. Obviously, there's lots of bits of, of, of I love imagery. I love imagery being placed with with correct narrative. I like narrative that is engaging. Are you going to tell me? Can I guess who your narrator was? And if I if it is correct in what I say, it is. I may just have to end the podcast now because I was like, how the hell did you get him? Can I guess? You can guess. That doesn't mean I'll confess. Is it James Earl Jones? <laughs> Uh, that that would be phenomenal, um, but I, I don't know if I can pull the ranks of a James Earl Jones. At this sounds point, like him. Holy smokes, he, it sounds like James Earl Jones. He sounds amazing, and it fits in with uh, with the character of just kind of, if, if you look at some of the projects that we have, it's just the heart and soul of America. Um, and being from, and being, my family's from the South, so rural Mississippi. So you have those types of accents and character. Um, when we have like our project of the Louisiana black bear, um, you have our project of the sage grouse recovery. And then you go to the Pacific Northwest where, um, it's just all across America, but it really just kind of touches on. Um, hearing that voice just resonates with everyone that I've spoken with that's that's seen it and it really touched me. So that person is amazing. <laughs> no, it's a phenomenal narrative. Phenomenal narrative. Whoever it is, kudos to you. You've got an amazing voice. It's a gravelly American, just like you, fatherly, soft, emotional, everything you want in a, a voiceover. Um, makes my accent like almost negligible. <laughs> and so that, that, that means that that's a really good compliment coming from a South African. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Well, before I, I, I continue, you know, um, as I said in an email two and a half months ago, congratulations. Um, you went off the radar for a little bit and all of a sudden up pops Aurelia um Skipworth as the executive director of this international order of T Roosevelt so congratulations thank you um it's a it's a huge honor for me i i've enjoyed my career you know and can say that i've never really had a straight path i've always just followed what my what my passion has been um and where i see that maybe i need to go back and revamp things in order to see how can I improve things. So that's really what led me to law school was when I saw that you could have the best science in the world, but if you can't use it because of regulatory issues or because of laws, then what good is the science? Um, And so that is really the combination Mm -hmm. of my science, my, my law degree is what helped me um, prepare education-wise um, for my role as as director, and then when I was in the department, 
I really enjoyed getting out into the field and I entered the Department of Interior in April of 2017. Um, I became director at the end of December of 2019. It actually took 18 months for me to be confirmed as director. So when you hear those stories of it's a lengthy process, it mm -hmm. becomes a political battle. Um, it, it really, it really is that. And the reason that I became director was because of the people. It was purely grassroots. And the time that I was in interior, I went out into the field. I talked with the people. I saw the issues. So it made a difference when going into uh, those meetings with, you know, different groups, different organizations, leadership that you can say, okay, I, I see what's on the two pager, but then I've also been in the field. And so now that I'm out mm -hmm. and at International Order of T. Roosevelt, it's taking all those experiences and seeing, okay, how can we have science that we can use for ensuring that we have the health of our, of our populations as well as development at the same time? Um, and so I was very particular in where I was going to go next uh, because I, I really do believe in following my, my passions. Yeah, because when we met in January, you were almost like in a consulting role. You were doing a little bit of job here, a little job there. It was like, mm, I don't know what I'm going to do next. And here you are. Yes. Yeah. I, I did take on um, a couple of exciting ones where it seems like you might have a single project where every single federal agency and state agency is involved in some aspect. That was. That was really exciting, um, but there also has to be the, I also want that flexibility of being able to work on multiple things at a time. And in this mm -hmm. role, um, it's working across multiple stakeholders. I'm really, really excited about my board of directors. I have 14 board members. Um, they're very, very successful businessmen and women. And for them, it's taking their success that they've had in the business world, where they've been able to transform um, what they're doing in their particular industries. And they're all coming together, converging on how do we make a difference in a transformative way when it comes to conservation or wildlife. So, we're, so this IOTR, International Order of T. Roosevelt, it really is a non-for-profit. Uh, we're a 501c3, but we're running it as how is this like a company? Because if we're expecting to make differences in our wildlife um, and their habitats, as well as getting everyone involved in it, that means that we need to have measurable outcomes. Um, and if we want people to keep investing, because that's really what it is, that means that they're going to have to see a value on what they're doing. And that's what we want to be able to provide is your money's not just going off into the wind. It really is going to make a difference for everyone that's involved. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people have been listening to you, um, Aurelia. Well, firstly, welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. Hopefully it's not the last time we speak with you. If, if you'd have you know, the pleasure of coming on, depends on how this conversation goes, obviously. <laughs> well, well, at the end, you're going to be like... Well, at least thank you for having me this first time, Robbie. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
you know, a lot of people have been listening to us for seven minutes here, and they're like, what the hell is the Indi you know, International Order of T. Roosevelt, and why is it not Theodore Roosevelt? Why is it T. Roosevelt? And where the heck did you guys come from? I know a little bit of the history of where this came from, but let's just start, maybe answer that first question, because I'm, I'm interested. Why not Order of Theodore Roosevelt? Why Order of T. Roosevelt? Yeah, so President Theodore Roosevelt, he changed the landscape when it came to conservation. He was the first one that really recognized that our wildlife was being um, exploited um, either by extra hats or feathers being in hats, um, or that we needed to really preserve our beautiful landscapes as we were having more development as people moved out west. So he really, mm -hmm. he was that, that visionary. In addition to being the visionary when it came to conservation, he was transformative um, on his policies and the political realm. So a lot of, there's a lot of organizations that have Theodore Roosevelt, President Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt, some kind of recognition to, um, to the president. So we right. were trying to distinguish ourselves in that, in that space of, okay, it can go different ways between conservation or politics or, you know, helping um, the, less, the less fortunate. Um, so, so there was that piece. And then the international part was, um, we're, we are all, we're a global society. We, our success mm -hmm. in wildlife is not just dependent on us looking around America. Wildlife, they don't know borders. They don't know state borders. They don't know borders between Canada and Mexico um, or, you know, over to Africa, Europe, et cetera. So we, we recognize that if, if we're in this game of conservation, that means that we have to work with other groups and that's not just here in the U.S. Um, and our, our uh, members, they're, they're huge hunters. They go overseas. Um, and so we realize that there is a huge economic boom to those communities when they're going over there and they're having those hunts and they come back and they, they bring back, um, they bring back their, their animals. And so we realize that we have to make sure that we're keeping those relationships open. And that means having those conversations, what is going to facilitate trade, what's going to facilitate people getting, getting permits. Um, and so that's why it's called International Order of T. Roosevelt. Where did it come from, Aurelia? Where did it sort of, what, where was it birthed out of? So the International Order was um, the original, our predecessor was, the foundation of Shakar Safari Club International. And so the foundation um, is now has now renamed itself. The board members stayed the same. Um, and our mission is, okay. is our heritage using ingenuity to protect our wildlife in their in their habitats so that we can have it for future generations. And we're making it in such a way that everyone is a part of the conversation when it comes to conservation. We can all play a role in this from the person that just wants to help the bunny on the ground to the, the hunter that's going overseas to, to get a trophy. So we all play a role in this and the projects that the board selected. And I would say our discussion is very timely 
So my board meeting was just July 7th, so 11 days ago, um, and presented to the board. Ooh, a fantastic day of the year. Oh, is that your birthday? Fantastic day. Is that your birthday? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it happens to be my birthday that day. Yeah. So it's a fantastic day. <laughs> I think it's a very fantastic day, um, especially now that you have that too there. Uh, so I had the I had the board meeting presented. I mean, these were all proposed projects. It was the video was proposed as well. Our website was proposed. So we got through a lot from where we just launched on April 28th to July 7th and speaking with you today, um, you know, we're, we're moving fast, which I love. They're being successful business people. They believe in, they, they go fast, but of course you have your parameters too that you're looking at so that you're not, you know, going off the rails and doing something that hasn't been vetted. Uh, but putting this all together and, and figuring out a way, how do we touch everyone in this, this, this landscape? Uh, and that was that was key. So let's um. So if anybody's interested, the the order's website is up. It's t-roosevelt.org, and you can check them out. You can check out their vision and their mission and whatnot. But let's talk about the project specifically that you just got the board to approve. And it looks like you've got one, two, three, four, five projects. So five projects that. Uh, you are investing in and you're asking people, hey, if you have interest in Project A or Project B, put your money here, donate here, and your money is going to help us continue the mission of this specific project. So let's go project by project and maybe let's talk about the specific outcomes that you're looking for as an order for those specific projects. Okay. So which one do you want to start with first, Robbie? I'm going to start with the one that's the most important, which is the one in the South, <laughs> Louisiana Black Bears. Oh, I, I actually thought you were going to say the anti-poaching because you said South, so I was going to think South Africa. No, they're, no, they're good. They're good. <laughs> Anti-poaching is good. Uh, but the Louisiana Black Bears, the reason I said Louisiana Black Bears is really important in that the, the state and the feds and NGOs have been working so hard to get the population of Louisiana Black Bear back to a place that you can sustainably utilize the resource, just like Arkansas, just like Missouri. Arkansas, uh, Louisiana is knocking on the door of a potential huntable population of black bears in Louisiana. Yeah. Huge, absolutely huge, huge win, plus one win in the column for hunters and hunting. Exactly. So, um, and right now, because, because of the population, um, making that comeback, they are seeing that there is more human bear conflict and that they're having to relocate nuisance bears, which means you just now have a nuisance bear in a new location. <laughs> um, and so what happened mm -hmm. is in 2016, thanks to all of the hard work, the money, the resources that went into um, the, the Louisiana black bear, which is also known as Teddy's bear. Uh, and the backstory, do you know the backstory to that? Okay. The backstory, I'll, I'll, I'll quickly. Yeah, I know the backstory, but it didn't happen in Louisiana. It happened in Mississippi. Oh, was it Mississippi? Oh, well, we, I believe they, they it do move over into Mississippi. And, okay. So the, the Louisiana <laughs> black bear uh, is called Teddy's bear. And so 
the the backstory to that was Teddy Roosevelt went down for a hunt. And in that hunt, several days, they couldn't find a bear. They looked and looked. So then the next day, when he got up to go out on the hunt, lo and behold, there was a bear. But the bear was tied to a tree. And he said, I'm not going to do it. Correct. That. He's like, that's not the fair chase. That's not the conservation piece. So that's why the black bear is called Teddy's bear. Uh, so in 2016, the bear was delisted from the endangered species list. It was classified as threatened. Um, and in all these delistings, you have to meet certain criteria. Soon after it was delisted, um, so-called environmental groups sued the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. They also sued Louisiana Fish and Game. Um, citing that there was lack of genetic diversity, um, there weren't enough migratory corridors, um, and this is going to cause the population to fail, and it was delisted early. So um, in order to right. satisfy these claims that were made, they are doing genetic, we are working with Louisiana Fish and Game to do genetic density uh, testing to understand the numbers of the population, because before you can do any hunt, you have to know how many of anything that you have. So numbers are crucially important to figuring out sustainable populations. Um, and then also on top of that is the lack of genetic diversity claim that they make. So we are working then to translocate bears so that we can improve the genetics within the populations. So it's a two-pronged approach, understanding- Where are those bears coming from? Um, they would they would actually be an already existing subpopulation within Louisiana, and then they're just moving them between the other populations. So that's that's the word. Oh, excellent, excellent. Yeah, and that's about five hundred thousand dollars a year um, for that project, and it's up to ten years. No, and it's great. You're putting your money where your mouth is from a from a science perspective. You know, get the science to demonstrate the the requirement necessary to make it huntable. Exactly. And I would say that that's the consistent theme with everything that we're doing um, at IOTR is we're we're like we are in the field on the ground application based so that there is the data and the science that supports whatever agency and organization that may be fighting a claim or you know that data is needed that's what we're that's what we're doing so what's next cool. on the list all right we'll go to the next best anti poaching canines in <laughs> south africa or africa looks like um i noticed that in the video you said you were working with a specific project partner you didn't name the project partner in the video do you want to name the project partner now i would love to it's the ikowitz family foundation and so this is a this, okay. this is a family foundation. They have been doing this themselves alone, self-funded, for over ten years. They have they have the first um, skydiving anti-poaching dog, and so they breed and train the dogs. I know. And there's there's a wonderful video um, that's actually on CBS News where they uh, featured it. Where you, the dog is as calm as can be at six thousand feet in the air skydiving. I would be a little scared, but maybe <laughs> the dogs are a little bit differently. I I wasn't trained that way, so <laughs> I'll just I'll just stay with both feet on the ground. Oh, there it is. 
Um, so what they also did. And I guess I was mistaken when I said uh, to South Africa. It looks like it's they go through all throughout Africa. It looks like they're working in. So they're actually working in. So their facility is in South Africa, but the dogs they place them in countries throughout Africa as well as in uh, Asia as well. And so they have trained the dogs to be able to detect um, um, from ivory to pangolins, uh, you name it, bombs as well. So it's a pretty, it, it's pretty sophisticated what they're doing. They've been doing it on their, on their own. We are the first uh, outside organization that they are gonna work with. And how it's set up is that- Amazing. Um, for a unit, which is a dog and a handler, go together. And they, they were saying that it's important that relationship that you have between the handler and the dog. Because if one isn't right, then the whole system falls apart. And so when it comes to this project, if you have it for a, a country like Gabon or, or let's say Kenya, and the state or the country agency is asking for it, then it's donated for free. Um, and so that's where donations come in. That's what we're doing. Um, and for other mm -hmm. organizations that are buying dogs to help other areas, they would then you know, have to pay something. But our goal is we really want to help these country agencies be able to fight the anti-poachers and that dogs are the, the best way to be able to fight it. Um, they've used technology from, you know, helicopters and nothing is as good as, as the dogs. And the other thing too, mm -hmm. is they did research and they found, it was like a two year research, millions of dollars. Um, they figured out the different parties and players that come into these um, uh, schemes, these international poaching schemes. And so they figured out, okay, what is the evidence that's needed in order to get a conviction? And so that's really where they're focused on. So it's making sure that if we're going to get a poacher, that they're not going to just a day later be turned out of jail and they're doing the same thing again. Yeah, yeah. That's a common, common uh, occurrence in Africa, regardless of where you are. Uh, probably the more rural Africa, the more likely that scenario occurs. Just it's it's a little frustrating for all involved and a little demoralizing at the same time. You do all this hard work and you you capture the guy and you put him behind bars, guy or gal, whatever it is. And uh, the next day he's walking down the, the middle of the, the, the city streets going to the supermarket. Yeah. And and the thing of it too is, and they said that COVID has has hit them really, really hard at the state, at the country game preserves because there was no one coming into the countries because everything was shut down. So then you have to let the staff go. Mm -hmm. You have to let everything go. And so now you just have more people that aren't there to be able to protect the wildlife. And it's already a risk that they're, you know, that, you know, they're willing to lay their lives down. And now there's even less of them. So really being able to come in at this point in time, when for the past two years, everything has been shut down, um, is really, is really important at this, at this point in time. Uh, you have two projects. One, um, back, you have a couple, you have three more projects the Greater Sage Grouse, Roosevelt Elk, and an education project. Okay. Let's talk about Roosevelt Elk because one of the largest elk species in North America. 
Yes, it is. Um, so it's found in the Pacific Northwest. So Washington, Oregon, and Northern California. There's also uh, found on a couple islands in Alaska. And what they're seeing is that there's the lack of quality habitat and forage for the elk. And because of that, there's, and that's due to a lot of overgrowth of the, of the understory. There hasn't been clearing of the brush. Yep. So all the things that you hear for the catastrophic wildfires is the same um, issue that you're hearing for the quality of habitat for the Roosevelt elk. And so that is resulting in a reduced birth rate. And so once you start hitting on those populations, then you're going to start impacting the number of hunts that can happen. And that really is an economic boon for the economy. But then, as you know, with hunting, with um, the excise taxes on guns and ammunition, that all goes back into those conservation agencies or the state agencies that help for the huntable species as well as the non-huntable species. Hmm. What are you doing in the project itself? Are you providing habitat treatment or habitat management options for private landowners or public or state agencies? It's going to, it's state, it's state agencies. It's going to be the Ohio, not Ohio. We're, we're going to get to Ohio. Uh, this is the Oregon, the other O, um, the Oregon DNR. The o. We're working on uh, the, the forage itself, clearing it out so that you have meadows. Also doing some population statistics as well. Cool. What's happening in Ohio? Ohio is where we have our, um, our education and accessibility. So we're partner with um, two organizations, Outdoors Tomorrow. Um, they are a Texas-based organization, curriculum focused on uh, conservation, hunting, archery, shooting. And it's, they have it set up with the schools where their their um, curriculum satisfies the physical education requirement. So by being able to put that into okay. your curriculum, then it helps to at least facilitate more people being or more kids being able to do this. And we're also then partnering with Turning Point USA so that we can address the, the older youth, college age students as well. So we want to hit the entire demographics when it comes to youth. And so once you have youth educated and we're talking about how do we get more hunters, uh, yeah, you have the education, but before you can go out and hunt, you first have to be able to shoot. So we, we're working with um, Ohio DNR in order to create, in order to construct a shooting range facility. Um, and they are positioned so that they're closer to an urban area. Uh, in order to be able to reach the more people, a greater mass of folks, in order to get them outdoors, get them trained, give them the education so that they can be comfortable, um, so that they're safe in using the guns and then transitioning to hunting. Or if they just want to stay with shooting, that's fine too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. One more project, your greatest sage grouse project? Yes, I'd say that this one is one of the most exciting of them all. So I'm glad you saved one of the best for last. I guess they're all, I, I love them all. Um, and so the greater sage grouse is found in 11 states. Their habitat's in 11 states. It used to be on 150 million acres. Um, 
And right now they're estimating the Fish and Wildlife Service um, estimates the population at about 3,500. So that is pretty low when you look at the landscape scale. And so organizations have set aside acres, tens of thousands of acres of, of land for the sage grouse. They've also have um, either done habitat improvements and restoration, uh, all, all types of activities. And this first, and in, it was the 1970s when the species was first proposed for listing. So it keeps on popping up um, as potentially being listed. Uh, and the numbers keep going down. It hasn't been listed. So right now it's on the table in front of the Department of the Interior is 10 million acres of federal lands that are premier lands for mining, as well as um, those are lands for agriculture, for ranching, which also mean it's lands for hunting, that if the government says those millions of acres are going to be undisturbed, that means you're going to have about a billion, when I say about a billion, it's an $8.5 billion economic loss if this bird, and that's just a mm -hmm. base number, if this bird is listed. So we're really trying to um, improve those numbers by using techniques that have been used for improving fish populations, captive breeding. If we keep setting aside lands, it's not working. Mm -hmm. Why do the same thing that doesn't work? That's called insanity. So um, we're, we're gonna be, our goal is to put 50,000 birds each year on the ground starting in year four. So that is a huge ramp up. That's probably um, one of, that's our largest project um, when it comes to, to funding, um, but it's gonna make a huge economic, huge impact for, um, for all of the multiple users that use these types of lands out West. Do you, um... And I may be cross-referencing different species here, so forgive me if I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. But wasn't there a lot of controversy about this in the state of Wyoming specifically? Um, and it all ties to where the birds are coming from, from the captive breeding side of things. Yeah. We're talking about the same bird, right? Yeah, we're, we're, ta we're talking about the sage grouse, which is, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, so... I always love to look at what perspective someone is coming from when they're when they're working on a project. So there is the controversy of, oh well, you'll you won't be able to captive breed these birds; they won't be able to survive. It's it's impossible to do it. Okay, well it's been done. Um, well then you won't be able; they won't be able to have the same characteristics and do the same mating dance like they do in the wild. Um, I can attest. I went to Wyoming. I saw the birds that were in the pens doing the same dance, went 25 miles down the road to a lek where I saw the wild birds doing the same dance. So it's possible, the science shows that it can be done. And it's just people, there's always going to be the naysayers. But at the end of the day, if we continually... Mm -hmm set aside more lands and we see the numbers going down, we need to do something different and we've got to be proactive mm -hmm. in doing it. So that's what we're pushing for because we know we need multiple uses of the lands and we know that we can have healthy, safe birds because they're there. <laughs> are, 
are there enough are there enough birds in captivity already to to do what you need to do or do you have to go get them from the wild so he the the person we're working with they have approval they have a license from wyoming fish and game so there are already birds um and we next year would be the first reintroduction into the lands and so there are a few birds that, that awesome. all the breeding and i actually got to first I actually got to hold the first egg that was that came out of the captive, the first captive bred population. So it was a very exciting day for me. Like, yeah, it was uh, a historic day because it had never been done before. Well, and that's isn't that the part of the job that is the most rewarding, right? Is the most satisfying that you're not just yes, you're you're in a political position. Yes, you come from politics, but this is the real stuff, right? This is the way the the rubber meets the road, and the the real the reason why you do it. Yeah, and if you look at projects that are thinking outside of the box, there's always going to be opposition. Um, you're always going to be going up against the grain, and that's no different than you know how we got the light bulb. And how we got some of these other um, technologies that really transform the landscape. And so all the projects that we're taking on at IOTR is we are transforming the landscape. And I'll tell you that all the projects are big projects. They they take a they take a lot of money to make them happen. But that's the that's the whole point. If we're actually going to make a difference, it means that we've got to go big because I don't believe in going home. Um, mm. And so. Everyone. And that's what I noticed with your projects is that they're all big. They're yes. all big projects. They're all. They're not. They're not. You don't have twenty-five small fifty-thousand-dollar projects. You've said, okay, here are our five projects, and they're probably half a million to a million-dollar projects. You know, out the gate. Yeah. Even for example, our sage-grouse one. That's that's a million and a half a year. So all of our our anti-poaching one. That's a million dollars a year. If we're going to make a noticeable impact and a dent on. Uh, these these issues that are that will change our landscape. That means that we have to put our our money where our mouth is, and that means to go big. And it's something that anyone can participate at any level. Um, Five dollars makes a big difference. A hundred thousand dollars makes a big difference. So it's it's that we all have an obligation when it comes to our wildlife, and we can all play we can all play a role. And it doesn't matter if it's big or small, but we all need to come to the table if we're gonna if we're gonna make a difference. Do you, does the board or you envision more projects, or you guys like these are my five projects? These are our five projects for the next five years. We're gonna make it happen, and then we're gonna build from there. Oh my gosh, I would like pass out if they said I only have five projects for like five years. So. Um, this this they're like our first tranche this this is our initial flagship projects um and we're going to build off of there so as soon as these are all funded then we're finding the next projects that are once again they're all they're going to be big projects that are really going to transform that transform the landscape so that's what we're we're after this is just this is just the beginning mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's exciting times. It's exciting times to be in conservation. There's no better time, 
I believe, to be in it than now because of the pressures, because of how society is changing, and because of the pressures on our, you know, valuable wildlife resources, as you said, all over the world. And that's why you guys are in the international order. Um, so, yeah, thank you, man. I, um, I'm excited to work for you. You know what we do. Um, you know where to find me if you need any help because, you know, we're all in this together, really, at the end of the day. Well, and, um, well I do then have yeah, we one. Yeah, we want to do work. I have one request that maybe um, I can get you out into the field on one of these projects when I go out there, and, and then you can tour around, and then we can do a podcast after that. And you can talk about what you saw. No, we do a podcast in the field. We do a <laughs> podcast in the field with that, the headphones that, that on because that's real. Yes. It's, 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 that is that is what that will capture the raw emotion and authenticity of you being in the field. And I think podcasts lack a little bit of authenticity, unfortunately, in that it's very difficult to like embed someone in that environment that you're in. And that's something that we we're trying to figure out us like from a content series line of of like thought process, like how do we do that? How do we take the listener that's listening to me and you right now? How do we take them and we place them in a swamp of Louisiana where a black bear just got collared or a black bear just got, you know, anesthetized and is about to get translocated into a different watershed because there is no, as you said, there's no wildlife corridor to connect those two populations together. Well, when you guys start building out that schedule, please keep me in mind and IOTR in mind. We'll love to get you out into the field to get the listeners out into the field to see what we're, and to hear what we're doing um, because you guys are all a part of making, making our wildlife and their habitats a success. Look, I asked tough questions though, so you better be ready. I, you better believe it, I'm, I'm ready. I, I might not be as fancy though, I might just have on a t-shirt and a, and a hat. <laughs> Hey, it's okay. That's what I'm wearing right now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Aurelia, it's been a pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, I can't wait to do it again. Thank you. Thank you, Robbie. Really appreciate it. And thank you to, the, to your listeners. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends. And most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.